a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. And now, your hosts, Josh and Joe. Welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad, loving music, and how those two aspects of life intersect. I'm Josh, your host, and with me here I have my co-host Joe. What up, Josh? And our producer, Steve. Hey, guys. Thanks to everyone who checked out our last episode on the fine line of supporting or pushing kids. We really hoped you enjoyed the show, and we hope you enjoyed the interview with DJ Vivi. I know I had a great time talking to her and her mom, Erica, um, and I've gotten some good feedback from you know some family friends who know both of them and, and me. So, um, and I know that Steve enjoyed overall editing and uh, producing the episode. So um, I'm hoping that everyone who's listened enjoyed it as well. I know that we had a really good discussion about the topic. But today, uh, I cannot tell you how excited we are uh, about today's episode because on the show, we are like so incredibly honored that we were able to have Chris Ballou, who is or was the lead singer and bass guitarist of the Presidents of the United States of America, but is more recently known to parents and kids as Casper Baby Pants. And uh, I mean, I honestly didn't think we would be able to get him on until we were pretty well established, but I shot him an email just one night. I was like, I'm going to try this. And he (laughs) responded like the next day. And was like, yeah, man, let's do it. And, (laughs) um, you know, we were able to schedule him and he, you know, worked with us just to to schedule. um, And he was great. I I mean, like, yeah, he was he he was great for sure. And it was, you know, I was in high school when the when the presidents came out and, you know, I told him just how, you know, big those songs were to me and, and like everyone I knew at the time. So it was a little surreal, you know, to be talking to the guy. You just it kind of brought me right back to high school a little bit, you know, just thinking about their their you know massive songs that they had at the time. But he he was a great guy, great. Yeah, and I mean, like, to oh, me, what a gem! And I told him this after the interview. I said, like, you know, to me, he is like the perfect. He's the perfect interview because he meshes both aspects of this podcast, which is like the parenting side. Even though we didn't we didn't get too much into parenting per se with him, but the idea of kids' music and then mm. diving deep into his, I guess, adult, you know, alternative music with the with presidents and 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 stuff like that. But you know, just beyond the the interview itself, he was just a really nice guy. Um, we yeah. had some technical difficulties in the middle of the show. My <laughs> mic was like freaking out. So we took a pause and he was like, yeah, no problem, guys. And then at the end of the show, uh, after we had stopped, we realized that his part of the interview or the recording wasn't uploading and we, I was having a total freak out moment. Uh, and thankfully the other two guys were just, you know, calm and we emailed him and said, Hey, can you pop back on? And then, yeah. Steve hung out with him for, I guess, an hour and a half, two hours, man. Yeah. It was pretty late. It was unreal that he was so chill about it because he's like, basically, I think he understands production because he's a musician, he's DIY. So he's just like, I'm going to try to help you. I obviously have to like, he was trying to watch a French film. And uh, (laughs) at one point he's watching his French film and I didn't realize it. And I started playing uh, Crowology on my laptop. And he could hear the music and he's like, uh, hey, Steve, can you uh, can you turn down your music? Because uh, I can hear that. And I was like, oh, dude, sorry. And like my freak out moment was, what if I had played something completely insane or random or, <laughs> you know, whatever? So I yeah. got lucky there. 
Yeah. But yeah, he he like did everything he could to make sure we got the files uploaded. We did like a little bit of tech help uh, through some searches on Zencaster and dude, amazing person. Just, yeah. just, yeah. I mean, he, he, he is as, as us Jews would say, he is an absolute mensch. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the guy is um, amazing. But uh, again, you know, I can't say enough about this interview and we really hope you enjoy this. And because it's, it's a pretty long interview, we're going to get right to it. We're not going to give you any kind of life update like we normally do. We'll get to that next episode. Definitely stick around afterwards to hear our music picks um, at the end of the episode, like we always give you guys. But now sit back and enjoy our interview with Chris Ballou. Chris, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I don't know uh, if you didn't have me on your show, I just wouldn't be on a show right now, which would be <laughs> sad. <laughs> oh, man. That, well, that makes us feel a lot better. Um, yeah. Um, so first off, how have you been handling the pandemic? Um, very carefully with kid gloves. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I've been real cautious. My wife and I both kind of feel like... Uh, we're erring on the side of caution and we're being respectful of the people that, uh, are, you know, vulnerable and we're really, uh, obeying the protocols and wearing our masks and doing everything we're supposed to do. So, you know, it's, um, there's good days and there's, there's funky days, but, uh, overall I think it's, uh, it's all going to work out fine. That's yeah, it's good. Has your creative juices been flowing more or is it, they've kind of been, you know, a little more wonky since you've been holed up for a, a long time. Well, actually, the shutdown coincided with me finishing three full length records and a four song EP. Uh, wow. all, yeah, I did this ginormous, like crazy inspired, long <laughs> yeah. process. And um, so I was ready for a break. And I was ready to kind of get away from songwriting anyway. And so I got mm. my break. And I've taken a break from songwriting. I'm actually doing visual art these days uh, instead of music. I sit down at the piano and pick up a guitar every day and just kind of noodle, but I'm not doing anything goal oriented. I'm just enjoying music for the enjoyment of the moment. Yeah, I've seen those black and white, um, uh, I guess, drawings or paintings that you've done. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're very cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super enjoying those. And I went to art school. And I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts and I didn't have anything to say. So <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I, uh, I don't know what to do with that. So I'll just play music for a while. And um, then suddenly about six or seven years ago, I started kind of dabbling again and found a voice and I'm super into it. Yeah. So it's, it's really exciting. I think it might be my next chapter. Awesome. That yeah. sounds great. Um, so cool. Thanks. We know you, you're in the uh, Pacific Northwest, um, specifically in Washington State. Have the wildfires been you know, affecting you at all lately? Um, oh, or- yeah. We had nine days where we could not go outside. It was remarkable. Yeah. Wow. So not the actual, I mean, the fires themselves, no. Our house is not in danger of burning down, but the smoke in the air was intense. Um, yeah. yeah. It was weird, too, because we, we live in a little house on an island and we can see uh, land across a piece of water from our living room and we couldn't see anything for nine days. So that's, that's insane. But when the smoke went away, uh, to be able to see 
the world was like this crazy gift and we were elated. We were just like, oh my gosh, look at the world. Look at the world. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, now, do you have any kids yourself or because, um, you know, as parents, we've been dealing with the, the, the pandemic crazily. So we didn't know if you had any kids and how you've been dealing with the pandemic, if so. Yes, I have two kids, but they are 23 and uh, 19. <laughs> And that's oh, wow. year, that's years, not months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they are out on their own doing their thing. My daughter's in Colorado. My son lives north of Seattle in a town called Bellingham. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they're, they're, you know, also kind of, you know, good days, bad days. I think if, I think if you're not struggling a little bit right now, you're not really awake. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but they're, they're, they're doing great. They're good people. I, I love them. Cool. That's great. And so now that we, you know, we, you have kids, were they the impetus for you starting to write kids music or how did, how did the whole Casper baby pants thing get started? They were part of it. Um, a big part of it was their mom. Uh, my first wife, Mary Lynn, she actually is the one that wrote run baby run, which you could argue is my biggest quote unquote <laughs> hit. Uh, <laughs> And then I used to play, uh, improvise songs for my kids when they were little. Um, I'd sit them out down on a little blanket and just, uh, play guitar and make up songs. And a lot of those have turned into Casper baby pants songs, but really the, um, Casper baby pants, as we know, it started when I met my second wife, Kate and her artwork just really spoke to me. And, uh, it was, you know, folksy and bright and funny and well-made and had integrity and great colors and animals. Oh, yeah. and I was mm -hmm. like, all those adjectives are adjectives I want to use to describe uh, the music that I make. And so I did make music to go with her artwork. And that's how I found my voice as Casper Baby Pants. So I really couldn't have done it without either of my wives or my children. So <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, a lot of influences going on. Crazy. And yeah. so is your wife the one who uh, creates the album art also? Yep. Yep. It's, it uh, yeah. seemed inevitable that she would do the covers. So yeah. And that, that's always been a dream of mine to have a body of work, like multiple albums that kind of all come from the same place and look like they're part of a giant set. Yeah. Um, so I did that very consciously. So yeah. I mean, they're beautiful. All the albums are beautiful. They're bright. They're very kid friendly. It's uh, they're, they're, Great. And so you're known for being, you know, the main guy, the lead guy of presidents, United States of America. And so when you drop this new, you know, your first Casper baby pants album, what was the reaction from your family, the, you know, friends and just the public in general? Cause I mean, I didn't find out about you until a few years ago. So I was a little late to the game, but um, I just want to know, you know, cause I think you were, the presidents were still going in some iteration at the time. So I wasn't sure what the initial reaction was to that album. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it was all positive, uh, at least what I experienced from other people because it seemed so inevitable, you know, like of, I think people's reaction was, well, of course he is, you know, of course he's Casper baby pants. Of course he's making music for toddlers, you know, like <laughs> what, what else is he going to do next? And yeah, I did do Casper for about and the presidents for about six years at the same time. And that was really hectic and crazy because uh, I was playing, you know, hundreds of shows as Casper a year. I've played, um, I think like, I don't remember the exact number, but I think somewhere around 1300 shows as Casper. Oh, wow. 
and I was touring with the presidents and making new albums and all that. So it was nutballs. But yeah, overall from the band and from my family and everybody and, you know, other people in the music scene here in Seattle, it's all just been like, well, you know, a shrug and like, duh, of course he's, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so it's been good. It's well, and beyond duh, it's been like, you know, very positive and I've, I've had a lot of uh, wonderful guest stars from the you know, world of grown up rock and roll here in Seattle on the albums over the years. So I've gotten, I've gotten the thumbs up from a lot of, uh, uh, of my comrades and influences. So that's cool. That's great. Joe, you have a question? Yeah. Hey, Chris, this is Joe. Um, I just wanted to know, what were your thoughts on kids music kind of in general or, or before you started Casper Baby Pants? I'm a parent of two kids, 13 and nine. I've definitely heard my share of good kids music and bad kids music. Um, <laughs> Casper Baby Pants is great. It kind of reminds me a little bit of another artist that I used to play to my son, uh, Dan Zanes. Oh, yeah. Um, a very Americana you know, great harmonies. When I heard your music, it re- reminded me a lot of that. Just really quality, you know, music for adults, you know, and kids mm-hmm. as well. So I was want to know what your thoughts were before starting Casper Baby Pants on kids' music. Yeah, I didn't really have a good sense of what that landscape was like, really. I mean, um, I knew a couple of artists, like Elizabeth Mitchell was somebody who was very influential when I started out, because she kind of turned me on to the idea that you don't have to be, you know, boingy and zany all the time to get kids' attention. You can kind of step back a little and mellow exactly. out. I didn't want to mellow yep. out as much as she was, but I really appreciated her records. And I would listen to her records in the car as I drove around all day and just feel good, you know? So I think that's where I got the initial idea of making music, not really just for kids, but for the whole family and even more specifically for the parents. Like I actually kind of joke in later years, I've joked that I'm the very first parents musician. You know, there's no, (laughs) there's no genre called parents music, but if there was, I'd be the first one. Um, So yeah, I really, and, and the other aspect of this whole thing is I don't make music that I think kids will like. I make music that I like, and it just happens Mm -hmm. that I'm nurturing this like childlike part of myself and entertaining myself really. And it turns out that I'm at my core like a child. So it resonates with children and parents and adults because I'm an adult. So it's kind of like the struggle was to find a way to make music that really satisfied or, or really like represented who I really am. And when I found it, it happens that it resonated with me and kids and parents. So I think some, I I don't want to, you know, (laughs) when I first got into this genre, I decided, okay, I'm never going to talk about what I don't like about kids music because it's (laughs) going to be a very dark, long conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't want to get into that too much, but what I do like about it is that people are paying attention to the aesthetics of the parents. And that means that the family does not have to go to two separate parts of the house when the, when the music comes on, which is, which is a piece of the bigger puzzle, which is making families, um, uh, you know, feel happy during stressful times, uh, bored when they're bored, when they're angry, when there's tension. Um, I, you know, I hope, that children's music, including my own, can go into that environment and de-stressify it and bring them together and start people laughing and kind of, you know, keep the family unit humming along in an empathetic, positive musical way. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, the way I, I found out about you was um, a guy I play music with was, this was right before my son was born. He was like, I got to tell you about the, you know, I was listening to the kids music XM or a serious radio station. And I, and this, this guy came on and I was like, I know this voice. And this guy, Casper Baby Pants, I looked it up and it was the, you know, the, the lead singer of Presidents. And his stuff is so great. It's like, you know, Presidents for kids. And I was like, oh, this is great. And <laughs> You know, uh, it, it really is uh, the music. I have to say, like my wife and I both love listening to it. My my son loves listening to it. Sometimes I'll want to listen to you rather than my son. He'll want to put on like <laughs> Sesame Street. I'm just like, no, I want to put on some cast for baby, baby pants. <laughs> I love that. But, you know, just to, to talk about what you were saying, um, I was going to say that w- one of my favorite bands, Modesky Martin and Wood, uh, which is an improv jazz trio. Oh, I know. Uh, the, I know those guys. I knew those guys when I lived in Boston. Yeah. And they put out uh, the kids album, uh, Let's Go, in 2008. And I remember when they put it out, they were talking about how they purposefully didn't want to dumb down the music. They wanted to make it, you know, very intelligent music for everybody to listen to, for the whole family to listen to. And I still love that album uh, a lot. And, you know, I've always loved it. And I I appreciate when artists who do make this, you know, change over or whatever to, to kids music that you're not you know, you're not dumbing it down for anybody. You're, you're kind of keeping the bar high uh, musically and, you know, just aesthetically because then it becomes music that the kids can listen to for the rest of their life. Yeah. And the dream would be, of course, that they would listen to it for the rest of their life. And then when they have kids, they have to buy all the records again in the, <laughs> in the new reissues. Yeah. In the new future format that we can't imagine, whatever it is, like, you know, musical flowers. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, yeah, all that resonates. Everything you're saying is great. Um, it's a really interesting, specific chemistry that I've discovered has to be paid attention to to make a song work. Like I imagine, I always imagine a car leaving Yosemite National Park with a family of five in it and they're all mad and tired and hungry and they all have to pee and, (laughs) you know, you should be able to put in whatever song I'm working on. I imagine it coming on the car stereo and I listen to it with a very critical ear, like, is this going to help? And oftentimes I'm like, well, got to get rid of that banjo because it's too much. You know, like, <laughs> got to get rid of that mandolin. Got to get rid of that, like, you know, stabby guitar. And uh, so I make very, like, uh, real critical aesthetic choices based on imagining the destination. Gotcha. And uh, so, yeah, it is it is tricky to kind of um, keep everybody in mind. You know, the two-year-old in the car, the seven-year-old and the parents. and And so... It's, it's a, it's a challenge for sure. It's really a fun challenge. If I ever have a chance, I'm definitely going to have uh, my, my cover band try to cover Stompy the Bear. Cause it's, I, I absolutely love that song. And I feel like it, it's, it's just one of those ones where you just, I just want to crank the distortion, even though there's like yeah. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. real drums. I just want to get behind my drum set and just like, you know, beat the oh, crap out of them oh, and just man. Like rock I, out. I was just saying to Kate today, like we were driving and I was like, man, I wish somebody would start a Casper baby pants cover band. That's just like full on rock, you know, just full <laughs> piece, five piece rock band, everybody blasting like crazy. That'd be great. Yeah. Please do that. I okay. actually, I do <laughs> occasionally do shows as Casper adult pants hmm. and, um, that's me wow. same setup, just me and my guitar, but I, I bring a crazy distortion pedal. I turn up the volume, have a couple drinks, and it's for parents only. So no well, kids are allowed. I don't sing like blue lyrics or anything, but I just right. it, I just rock yeah. it out the songs. And I make the parents behave like 
children, which is super fun. <laughs> well, if you ever come out to the East Coast, like I will definitely be there. So, okay. Yeah, for sure. And Chris, I, I read that um, you're the obviously singer and songwriter, play all the instruments, you produce the records, you're the booking agent, yeah. the roadie. Yeah. Is that all yeah. true? You, you do all yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. This, this, the other thing I love about this operation is it harkens back to my DIY roots, like my punk rock mm -hmm. days in the eighties. Awesome. And it's the ultimate punk rock band, really. I mean, it's right down to the kids in the crowd who behave so bizarrely. And, uh, you know, they're more punk rock than anybody with a bright red mohawk. I'll tell you that. Um, so yeah, it's, it really is also not just musically my home, but it's like the operation is close to my heart because it's so DIY. And, uh, I love awesome. it. Though. I love it. Yeah. I, if I ever felt like I needed help or an assistant or something like that, I'd be like, Nope, too, too much, too big. <laughs> too much. Gotta, gotta keep it. In fact, I kind Scale of purpose, yeah, I kind of purposely don't promote my music that much. I do podcasts when people call like you guys, and I just depend on happy parents telling other parents about it because I just want it to be, I don't want it to be gigantic. I just want it to be loved, you know, hmm, awesome. at whatever size it finds itself. Oh yeah. Hey, uh, Chris, it's Steve here. Um, yeah. And relates to your uh, DIY, your beginnings, I kind of noticed that, you know, that being in the Pacific Northwest, I think kind of lends itself to like that DIY atmosphere. I feel like Seattle kind of has always had that kind of spirit. Has that and being like married to Kate, like kind of fed your DIY spirit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really growing up in Seattle, the prevailing attitude was like, if you start a band and you want to play a show, you don't wait around for some slick club to give you a show. You rent a hall and you get a couple other punk rock bands and play a show and charge $2, you know, mm -hmm. and have it break even. But you did something with your Thursday night, you know? So, um, yeah, I think a lot of the sort of inspiration for people to make music back in the, those days was just to do something and to have somewhere to go and uh, <clears throat> not just sit around and watch Star Trek on <laughs> channel five because <laughs> that's all yeah. that was on um yeah yeah it's definitely i think seattle planted that seed in me for sure yeah and it was kind of fun it was kind of funny and i or not ironic but i don't know kind of weird later when the scene blew up and became national because it felt so comfortable as a diy scene like yeah one of the things i love about diy is you for me is it allows me to feel successful at a much smaller scale like, mm -hmm. you know, write a song, rehearse the song with your band, play the show, people hear it, they buy your cassette, done, you know, like, it's a complete success circuit completed without, you know, the whole rigmarole of being, uh, you know, quote unquote, famous or whatever. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, just related to your, to your, I see uh, on a couple of your videos, they seem to be like all your either your animation or you've learned to animate on earlier <laughs> stages. Like how much are you involved in the video creation? Oh, hundred percent. Totally involved. Yeah. Um, over the years I've been collaborated with a whole bunch of people and sometimes I'll do the drawings and then I'll have somebody else animate them. But I kind of like making them myself cause they're so crude. And again, it's a little bit punk rock. It's like, I want someone to watch um, the videos I make by myself, the really simple line drawing ones that are just crudely edited. And I want them to have uh, a feeling like, oh, I could do that too. Or, you know, like if I'm bored on a Thursday afternoon, I could make a video, you know, I have some videos that are done by professionals because I kind of wanted to have different 
vibes, you know, for each uh, video. But um, yeah, they're fun. They're fun to do. In fact, that new one for the song Five White Ducks, which is out now, which is the first single from the new record, Happy Heart, <laughs> which comes out November 13th, 2020. Nice. That one, I actually gave up on that one. I did all the drawings and put them all in my editing thing and got it sort of 80% done and was just like, I don't think this is any good at all. And I just, <laughs> I just walked away from it for like a month. And then I uh, fired it up about a month later and was like, hey, this is actually great. <laughs> <laughs> because the process of doing them is so intense and so kind of yeah. like math- laborious. Oh my gosh, it's so mathematical. And like, so I got all caught up in the, you know, the sort of was it after effects or something else no i'm using this well i do the drawings now i used to do the drawings just on paper and take a picture of them and Mm. with like a little jig and i'd put the picture it's like old school animation like photographing Mm. each cell but now i do the drawings on an ipad using procreate and then i import them into a really old version of iMovie like 10 years old, uh, that still has a timeline. And I just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like making a, a major label album on a four track basically. So. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it keeps me, keeps me grounded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can't get too uh, fancy. Humbling. Animation is so humbling. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 You're, I mean, the videos are fantastic. I, I specifically like the, um, uh, was it the, uh, the is it crabby pant? No, uh, um, pretty crabby, pretty crabby. That's a, that's a great claymation, uh, video. Yeah. That's so. a woman, uh, Charlotte Blacker. I just was bopping around on the internet one night and saw her, a couple of her stop motion animation things and emailed her and she said, yes. And we made some video. I've done a bunch of that kind of thing. Like I actually got inspiration from weird Al. He made a record a few years ago and he made a video for every single song on the record. Yeah. And I remember he, that. he just reached out to like, the graduating classes of different, um, <laughs> you know, like animation programs is how I remember him telling me about it. And it was wow. just like, do you want a resume builder? Make a video for Weird Al for free. And then they were all like, yes. And so, uh. yeah. Anyway, I took a page out of his playbook there for a bit and did that. That's yeah. awesome. When I found out, you know, I found out we were going to be interviewing you. I decided to do a deep dive into your music and was listening to the Chris and Tad album that's on uh, uh, yeah. on Spotify. And when the song Sunshine Pig came on, I was like, wait, this is this is one of his songs. <laughs> oh, it's it's it, this is 10 Little Piggies. Um, yeah. So do you, you know, because you have so many Casper Baby Pants songs. Have you reused a lot of songs that maybe were recorded in some other band or, or, you know, group or just were on the, on the shelf somewhere and just brought them back up and brought them back to life in your newer stuff? Absolutely. Tons, tons, tons. Because my philosophy as a songwriter for my whole life has always been don't hold back, you know, write the song, even if it doesn't feel exactly right, go ahead, write it, record it, file it away. Because I've gone through so many little genre hopping changes over my life. And every time I do that, I look back over the like rubble of old songs and I'm like, oh, that one will work in this iteration. That one will work. That one will work. And when I got to the Casper thing, because it was so, so much like a destination, like a global sensation of like, ah, there it is. There's me. When I looked back over the rubble, there were so many songs that were unfinished that were close, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is so um, just uh, exactly who I am. So there were a lot more of them. And so, yeah, there's a lot. And there's a lot that never got released that were just 
you know, gathering dust that I ended up polishing off as Casper songs. So some of them, even though they've been through that uh, ringer, you wouldn't know it because you've, they've never been released. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But I don't, I don't have a problem repurposing, re, re, uh, imagining songs from the past. I think it's a fun thing to do. You know, if they're great songs, they're great songs, no matter yeah. how you put them out. So yeah. Speaking of your songwriting process, my wife is a big fan of, uh, the song bad blue Jay. Yeah. And she, she wanted me to ask you, uh, what some of the lyrics like mean, like when it, it just the, the line, do you make a, a noise chainsaw? That's one of them. And then what will it take birthday cake? So I didn't know if there's any meaning behind them or if they just sounded good when you were writing them. Well, there was an actual blue Jay or a Stellar's Jay, it turns out actually in our yard yelling. And so the chainsaw thing is just because he sounded like a little chainsaw. He was like wah, 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 <laughs> yelling in the yard. And so I was like, chainsaw. Yeah. Um, and the birthday cake, I don't know. I just imagine like it would take something pretty darn special for him to shut up. So I was like, gotcha. <laughs> birthday cake. But that song's interesting because it's based on an old um, spiritual song, an old public domain song called Did You Feed My Cow? So some of the songs I've written, I've actually kind of dipped into the public domain world and taken old bits and fragments from, you know, very old music and modernized them. Yeah. I like doing that because it brings those melodies to life for people now and and because there's something universal in those melodies, because uh, the ones I pick have survived. And so there's something kind of uh, human in them that people respond to. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I got to say, you know, there's a lot of songs that, you know, I know. And then I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a new lyric. And, you know, it's it's just really cool that you're 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 revamping them and kind of making them a little more modern, at least putting your own twist on them. And yeah, uh, I try to modernize them, but I don't I don't want them to lose their their bones. You know, like right. I'm not trying to do like a reggae version of Silent Light or something. You know, like <laughs> I, I don't want to get too whacktastical with it, so I kind of try to keep it grounded. You know? Yeah. But I do appreciate like the slow version of head, shoulders, knees and toes with oh, added yeah, lyrics yeah. and stuff like that. So, well, like, you the, know, I did that slow because I realized if I did it fast, you couldn't, uh, the mom who has the baby on her lap couldn't point to the parts of the body that fast, oh. you know? So again, I'm thinking about where it's going to be used. Like what's happening while this song's playing? Well, there's a mom with a baby on her lap and she's pointing, you know, and so it has to be slow, you know? Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. And just to follow up with the idea that you, you use a lot of public domain songs, um, I know you put out a couple of Beatles albums. Yeah. And so how did you go about getting the rights to those? Or, you know, especially since you're doing this DIY, I didn't know what the process for that is or was. Yeah, I just, you know, it's pretty simple. It's a compulsory license that you get. It's not uh, something you need permission for. And yeah, it's just, it was just a matter of getting uh, acquainted with how to pay the mechanicals. Uh, you know, now I know how to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, it was the, <laughs> it was the part of the DIY that's not as fun, which is putting on the business hat and like, yeah. you know, learning how to do that stuff. And it was tricky at first. It was really disorienting, but now I, I do it every quarter. I have to write checks to those guys to well to uh an agency that pays them so yeah now it's easy but yeah if you want to cover a song it's it's uh you can do it it's just a unless you change it dramatically i think you need permission or if you make a parody like weird al again yeah so anyway it's easy 
Gotcha. You know, I was watching with my son uh, during the beginning of the pandemic when you were putting out those live videos. Yeah. And I noticed that you were playing a three string guitar or I don't know if it was a git bass or whatever it was. And I didn't know if this was like if that is like your main instrument um, or because I know it was it was considered a shtick when Pooza came out. So I didn't know if this was like something that you use all the time and you record with, or if it's, it was just, you know, it's a, a instrument you feel comfortable with and can get around with. Cause I know like Keith Richards uses like a five string guitar n- normally. So I, I, you know, was just curious, you know, if this is your weapon of choice usually. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it wasn't a shtick in the presidents. It was just, that was essential to how we uh, came up with those songs and our energy and all that was the two and three string guitars. Mark Sandman from a band called Morphine in Boston showed me the two string thing and it just really clicked. I just felt like, oh, that's, that's me. That's home. One of the reasons is I, you know, I genre hop a lot and I play songs from a lot of different um, styles. But if I filter those songs through a limited instrument, like a three string, it sounds like me, you know, it's kind of automatically uh, makes it feel at least for me, like it's fresh and unique. So, um, there's that. And then there's, you know, the minimalist in me is like, oh, there's less strings to tune, less strings to change, you know, like, yeah. and it's easy to learn, you know, you just tune it to a fifth and put your finger straight across it and you're playing right away. So it's, I like how it kind of democratizes the guitar too. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. And I love the challenge of limitations. Like when I did the Beatles record, figuring out the chords for drive my car was a real <laughs> like mind melter. Cause I had to figure out how to make those weird chords on only three strings. And I, I, I did it, but it was, it was, oh, man. it was super hard. I was sitting at the piano, like, okay, I need it to be this note and this note and this note. And how do I get that on the guitar? So yeah, it's, it's a challenge sometimes, but I love it. Cool. Yeah. I was curious, uh, Steve here again. So I, I read about, uh, Mark and, and the, you know, the creation of the bass guitar and the get bass and all that stuff. Do you do or use those instruments in your current, uh, iterations of Casper baby pants or any other stuff that you do? And do you still alter instruments? Have you ever done that yourself or was that always just the Mark thing? No, I, I only use two and three string guitars for sure. I mean, I have okay. a six string here on the wall. I'm looking at it right now. And every once in a while I pull it out. In fact, there's a six string song on the new Casper album, Happy Heart, that I love called Live, uh, or what is it? It's called Live Like a Baby, about how I don't want to grow up. I just want to live like a baby. And I wrote it on the six string that I learned to play guitar on when I was a little kid, which um, seemed to make sense. Really, it's whatever instrument, whatever the song needs. But so the two string and the three string and the six string and the piano and all these orchestral instruments and banjo and mandolin and everything else, they're all just hanging around and waiting to be called into service, depending on the song, you know, like Mm. every song calls for a different cast of characters. Totally. But the two string and the three string is the three string right now is just my cornerstone instrument. I mean, that's just, it's the most grabbed of all instruments for me. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And Chris, I heard after this uh, upcoming album, you were stopping Casper baby pants or taking a break. Uh, Why were you choosing to do that. No, it's funny. I made a post on Facebook and I think it got misconstrued. All I was saying was that I'd finished recording the next three albums. <laughs> ah, gotcha. So the rec- <laughs> and I, I said it, I typed that in all caps and then I put, I, you know, I'm not done yet, but still everybody thinks I'm retiring. Uh, okay, okay. So, um, no, what I'm doing is what I was saying was I had tracked all the records. So 
The next record is number 18. That's Happy Heart. And then (laughs) the one after that is Easy Breezy, which is number 19. And then after that will be a four-song EP of covers. And that'll be number 20-ish kind of. And that'll be it. I think that'll be it for the recorded output. But I will still Mm. keep playing shows. And I might even at that point really start thinking about touring, you know, like traveling and which I'm not, I haven't been interested in up till now for Casper. But once the recording is over, I think I might start, you know, doing some touring. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. And then of course, once all the albums are out, I got to put out a greatest hits and you know, (laughs) you have no no label obligation, so you can do whatever you want. Really? Exactly. Oh my God. It's so great. I am the label. I just, I sit here and I look out at the water and I go, well, do I want to put out a record in November? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. So to take a step back from Casper, as parents, you know, we grew up playing music and, you know, listening to music. So growing up, how did you get started with music? Well, when I was a really little kid, I got my hands on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And that yes. just blew Perfect. my mind. Same for, here. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. When I was three, like I, 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 my dad pulled it out. I remember he pulled it out of his vinyl collection. And like that night I had a dream about the cover and then became obsessed with that album, that album cover and the Beatles in general. Like wow. when I was that young. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful album for a tiny mind because it has so much texture and different variety. Uh, st- yeah. The styles. I mean, I definitely got my, again, that genre hopping mm. uh, impulse from that record mm. and the visual um, component of songwriting, you know, like feeling where the music and the words go together to just like make a movie go off in your head. That's just, I love that. And, um, so that one, that really set the tone. And then I started playing piano when I was four and between four and 14, I was kind of being groomed to be a classical pianist, but I didn't Hmm. really like it. So I kind of resisted. And then I picked up an electric guitar when I was about 14 and the rest is history. But, um, (laughs) <laughs> definitely the early stuff was the Beatles. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't listen to other music until I was, I think 10. <laughs> so oh, wow. yeah. mm-hmm. it was a long, long time where that was, that was it. I mean, if you're going to be obsessed with a band, it's not a terrible band to be obsessed with. So, Oh, oh. I know. I know it's, it was fantastic. I mean, it was so great. And that's one of the reasons I made those two Beatles cover albums. I wanted to kind of pay homage to that. And, you know, for those albums, I only chose songs that they wrote. I didn't do any of the covers they did. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I chose songs, for the most part, which were visual or about love in a really general way. Not like, you know, girl, I want to hold your hand kind of thing, but more like a universal kind of love that could be a parental child kind of love. So, but anyway, um, yeah, Beatles, 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 Beatles. (laughs) Who are they? (laughs) And and once you got your electric guitar and you started your punk bands, what were some of the punk bands that really, you know, propelled you to start a band or that that you were, that you were really into Were it local punk bands or more like the Ramones and, you know, classic bands like that? It was more classic bands. I was definitely into like, uh, the Sex Pistols and the Mm -hmm. Clash and, um, this guy from England named Reckless Eric. He was sure. Yeah, he was a big. I'd go the whole wide world just <laughs> yeah, to I just, find. A- I just <laughs> yeah. I just heard that the other day on on uh, WFUV. So that was uh, yeah. I, I was like, who is this? I've heard this, and I had to, I had to Shazam it to see who it was. So <laughs> right, yeah. So 
yeah, stuff like Reckless Eric and uh, the Vibrators, and there were all these other. Well, Gang of Four. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Gang of Four. Yeah, Entertainment. Yeah, great album. Yep, yep. So that kind of stuff, that kind of arty, angular, jagged, you know, stuff. Awesome. Yeah, Very I still cool. love the Sex Pistols. I mean, I think that first album is just brilliant, and Steve Jones yeah. is so yeah. What a what a beautiful human being. I mean, his Instagram yes. is just like the greatest. Jonesy's jukebox. Oh, he is great show. He's a great show. I would love to be on that show. So if you're listening, (laughs) Steve, which I'm sure you are, (laughs) have me on that show. (laughs) So, um, your parents obviously were pushing you to become a classical uh, pianist. I, I think I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that your mom was a, a pianist herself or she was a piano teacher or... No, she just, she was... So my mom was really into classical music and my dad was really into country music. And so uh, if you can, if you listen to a Casper album, I've pretty much grafted the two of them into one personality because yeah. <laughs> I use a lot of classical bits and a lot of country stuff. I mean, there's pop and rock and roll and everything else, but those two aspects are coming from them for sure. So yeah, she just, she was an aspiring pianist. I mean, it was one of those things like, Oh, I've got to sit down and get back into piano. I've got to do it. And then it's like, well, I better go make dinner instead. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I know that. Yeah. Um, But were they supportive of, you know, when you became like into, to rock music and started your own bands, were they, you know, supportive or kind of just like, okay, cool. (laughs) Or were they like, uh, you know, very much against it, you know, how were they as, as parents yeah. in the, the support realm? In the beginning, um, my mom was elated. She loved it. I mean, she, she was the one kind of, you know, who wanted to see me play classical. But when I expressed, you know, excitement for playing, you know, short, sharp punk rock songs and having bleach blonde hair and big, you know, taking clippers and having weird sideways haircuts, she was all for it. She awesome. loved it. Yeah. My dad, you know, my dad was a sharecropper's son from Missouri who went to the big city and became a bank executive. And he was, he was not as amused <laughs> by the Mohawks and the dye jobs, but, um, but still supportive. In fact, my dad, I'll never forget this time I was struggling with a piano piece and I couldn't get this one note to happen every time I went by this one part of the piece, I'd screw it up. And I finally threw the music at the piano. I was like, that's it. I quit. And my dad showed up at the doorway to that room and took me into his den and got down on his knee and said, you're not going to give up. You're really good. And you need to keep going. You need to get back in there and make it work. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. and, And he really wasn't effusive otherwise, but he really just like had that moment where he just zeroed in on me and was just like, no, you have to keep trying. Uh, I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it, but, uh, wow. That was a really big moment. I think about that moment a lot. So, um, you had mentioned earlier, uh, that you went to art school in Boston. Um, and actually, no, I went to art school in New York and then I lived in Boston after that. Gotcha. And this was, and I think I read somewhere else that you're from Seattle, but you weren't living there during the late eighties and early nineties when the huge grunge scene was like really, you know, popping and, and, and really formulating. Do you feel like that not being in Seattle at that time affected your music, you know, in a, in whatever way, but do you feel like if you were there it would have like really changed your perspective and, and the way you write music or, you know, just how you see music and do you regret not being like, there while this whole thing was germinating? 
Um, I, that's an interesting question. Uh, nobody's ever asked me. So let me think. Uh, I, you know, I needed to be where I was obviously because it was Mark Sandman and this band we had called Supergroup that really, um, kind of unhinged the wacky, you know, side of me that wanted to write songs about bull weevils and frogs and chickens and monkeys and peaches yeah. and all that. <laughs> we had an improvisational band and Mark was kind of this like pillar of cool. And I was this bouncy little weirdo going around. And, uh, so I, I needed that experience and that was in Boston. So, mm-hmm. uh, but then again, I remember hearing, you know, I was writing a lot of kind of dark at the late eighties, early nineties, I was writing a lot of dark, funky, distorty kind of stuff. Sebado was one of my favorite bands. And, mm. um, I don't know if you know who they are, but, um, uh, when I heard Nevermind by Nirvana, I was like, Oh, that's the record I was trying to make. So I guess mm. I'll just stop because that's way better than what I was trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like the I mean, melodies and the, and the, the, uh, sort of like musicality of it, the like poppiness, but also heaviness mm-hmm. and uh, just everything about it. I wasn't in Seattle, but I was hearing that in my head. So that was kind of weird. So when I moved home, I felt like I didn't want to try to belong to that scene. I wanted to make my own. So, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, everything happened. Uh, no doubt the universe unfolded as it should have. So everything yeah, worked exactly. out. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so when you move back, uh, I assume that's when the presidents kind of ha- happened or how, how yeah. did the, the band come about? Yeah, I got back and I uh, was so elated to be back on the West Coast. I was living on the East Coast in Boston and I was not healthy and, uh, th- you know, it was a not a good scene for me. And I woke up one morning and went, wait a minute. I'm from the most beautiful place in the world. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I bought a little VW van and drove home and... um it had no heat. So I had to go all the way down South. This was in January. So I had to go all the way down to like Louisiana and across and up (laughs) because I I know, (laughs) especially when you're, when your carburetor's stuck and you can only go 53 miles an hour. uh, Yeah. It was, it was a (laughs) long journey, but man, when I got back, I was so happy to be back in Seattle that that sort of like that energy kind of infused the the forming of the presidents. And I called up Dave Dieterer who I'd played with many times in the past as a duo. And we just started playing as a duo. And then Jason saw us and was like, I need to be your drummer and bam, there's the band. So we just kind of played without a drummer until a drummer insisted that he was our drummer. (laughs) Gotcha. And and who, who came up with the name of the band? I did. Uh, and I did it as a joke. We, you know, we had a trouble, we had trouble coming up with a name. So we used to get together before practice for sure. a beer at the Comet. And mm-hmm. the assignment was for each band member to come with five band names and just say them in rapid succession until a band name made us all light up, you know, like go yep. up. That's yeah. it. And one of yep. my five one day was the presidents of the United States of America and we all lit up and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I always notice too that when you talk about like the DIY aspect, but I also think that Pusa kind of was like a deconstruction of being a band in that time because I think there was a lot of excess. There was a lot of seriousness and like songs like We Are Not Going to Make It and Naked and Famous to me are just like we're, we're totally poking fun at ourselves. We're totally poking fun on like a serious image. Like, was that like a conscious thing of, of the project and the group? Oh, absolutely. Because we, I think what made the president's work in the beginning was this, uh, this thing where we 
behaved as if we were the biggest band in the world in a way, like we really tried mm-hmm. to rock out, but we were playing these stupid little instruments and we were these like skinny dorks, you know? So it's <laughs> like, I think the audience was looking at us like, oh, look at those little dorks. I just want to put them in my pocket. They're so cute trying to rock out. Look at them try. <laughs> and so uh, songs like We're Not Going to Make It and Naked and Famous kind of were like, yeah, you know, we're going to rock out, but we're also going to do it with our tongues firmly in our cheeks, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, it was an, it was a good dynamic in that band because we rehearsed a lot. One of the things we decided early on was if we're going to be silly, we have to be good. You know, yeah. like we can't, oh, be, 100%. we can't be silly and sloppy. So we rehearsed a lot in the early days and, um, put a lot of work into sounding like we didn't care. So. Right. That was, that was, well, I never thought about that. Cause yeah, a lot of like the, the more, the more comedic bands, like, yeah, a lot of them are very tight. They are actually, cause, mm-hmm. cause the comedy might not come through, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, look at, again, for the third time I'm bringing up Weird Al, but look at Weird Al. Yeah, I Weird mean, Al. Yeah. He is, Perfect, he's yeah. a totally. master of his craft and yet yes. incredibly his, silly. His band is, is a fantastic live. I mean, I, I've oh, seen yeah. them so many times and, you know, I got to see him on that, uh, where he did the, all the originals and it was just like you, you, that, that performance, um, you know, when he wasn't playing all of his parodies, you got to really see mm-hmm. how great of, of a musician, not only he is, but his entire band is. And again, you have, they just, they can play so tightly and that's what allows the comedy and the, you know, the silliness to come out is because if, you know, if you're trying to be silly and then the band is completely just messing up everywhere, you kind of are focused on how they're messing up and not the comedy. And the whole thing becomes sort of this like, Oh, it's funny because it's not going well rather than it's funny because (laughs) it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. 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 The other end of the spectrum is I love those videos on uh, YouTube called shreds where it's, yes. uh, oh, yes. yeah. it's like, it's like Eddie Van Halen playing one of his amazing, you know, standout like spotlight solos. And it's just the worst. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the opposite. <laughs> it's like the really, you know, great visual with the terrible music. Yeah. yeah. I love those. Um, <laughs> so how were you, I mean, how were you able to grow uh, your fan base? Because obviously it's a very, you know, your, your sound, I assume it was a very niche type of thing when it came out. And how were you able to like really build it and like kind of, you know, get it to the point where you had A&R guys looking at you? Well, number one, we didn't try. We didn't try to build anything. We just played. And in that environment, post grunge in Seattle, everybody was excited for the next big thing. And so you could a show on a Tuesday night and it was jammed because everybody was curious and that Crazy. just really played into our favor. So we never tried. We just, at one point, Jason Finn, our drummer was the booking agent at this club in town called Mo. And he was just like, you know what? I'm going to book the presidents every weekend <laughs> for like two months <laughs> That's and awesome. just see what happens. And, uh, <laughs> so really it was that uh, but it wasn't coordinated. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, I'm not doing anything for the next eight weekends. Let's just play. So that was, you know, and that kind of extends to the Casper thing too, because I made a conscious decision at the early stage of the Casper thing that I want to put my energy into playing and recording and writing. And so I didn't do any promotion at all. I think for the third record, I hired a publicist and I, I spent like $9,000 and nothing really happened. So I was like, that's it. That's the end of that. So, (laughs) but I also did that on purpose because I really wanted to see what, because early in the president's experience, when we got signed, I 
was real vocal with the label and the promoters and everything like, and the, you know, the people that coordinated advertising, I was like, can we maybe, how do we promote the band without appearing to promote the band or something like mm. I just, I didn't want to be just like flavor of the month that's plastered everywhere. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of make sure that we were getting to the people that really got it and not just the people that were jumping on a bandwagon. So yeah. anyway, with the Casper thing, I've totally done that. I just don't do anything. I just let the music do its own thing and find its own way slowly and happy parents telling happy parents and that's it. So word of mouth. Yeah. yeah word of mouth. Just do nothing and put it all into the music. So that's, I finally got to do that, which is great. Cause when I proposed that kind of thing to the band and to the label, they all were like, no, (laughs) really, we're not doing that. We're going to promote the damn band. (laughs) Huh? So then how, how surprised were you when lump really exploded? I I was in high school and I I was telling Josh and Steve earlier, just trying to prepare for this. I'm like, one of my most visceral high school memories and, you know, music memories is hearing lump Kitty, Peaches, like I feel like yes. everyone in my grade knew these songs. I grew up they here in New it. Jersey, North Jersey. So our radio station was in New York City when they actually played rock music. <laughs> and that was just on rotation all the time. I feel like it was so huge. And it's one of those iconic 90s songs that really doesn't die. But how, how surprised was the band when the song exploded? Uh, we were literally shocked. <laughs> I mean, like, I never thought anyone would pay us money to tour all over the world and play these songs and that they would resonate with so many people. So it was astonishing. I mean, funny in a way, like astonishing on some levels because the songs themselves were so weird and the recordings on that record are so weird. And, um, but then not astonishing because again, we put a lot of work into it and we put a lot of joy into it. And I think people want to, people gravitate towards people who are being, um, unique and expressive and happy and for sure. So it made sense, but it also was completely disorienting. And, you know, overnight we went from like just having a barbecue with our friends and spending all day watching TV and playing Frisbee and walking around (laughs) to (laughs) being in charge of like a, you know, international corporation. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that was super disorienting too. Yeah, I'm sure. That song, I mean, I'm very proud of that song. I love those lyrics. That's That song is one of my like top, I mean, I never, ever was bored playing that song live with the presidents. That was one of those songs where every time we played it, it was like we were playing it for the first time. I just adored that song. Awesome. And I love the lyrics. I love how abstract they are and who's lump and all this stuff. Well, just read the lyrics. I mean, the lyrics are what it's about. It's about a woman in a housecoat sitting in a river and piranhas don't know if she's dead or not. I don't know why, but that's what it's about. I mean, it's not a mystery what it's about. It's exactly, yeah. I had an amazing experience with that song. So I don't know if you guys know who Robin Hitchcock is. So back in my college days, he had a band called the Soft Boys and their album Underwater Moonlight was this massive influence. And we'd make entire evenings out of sitting around drinking beer, listening to Underwater Moonlight over and over and over. We knew every lyric on that album. So flash forward many, many years later, and I'm in a sushi restaurant. I think this was like 2002 or three. And, uh, I look across the restaurant and there's Robin Hitchcock having sushi in Seattle. He came to Seattle Mm. a lot. And I had a band at the time called the giraffes was in between presidents. I guess this was more like year 2000 or something, but, and I was covering a Robin Hitchcock song from underwater moonlight in 
the band and I couldn't figure out one of the chords. So I had a couple of sakes to get up some liquid courage. And I went over to his table thinking, I'll ask him from one songwriter to another, like, uh, you know, what's this chord? And when I tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and I say, Hey, um, Robin Hitchcock, I'm Chris Ballou. And I, and he holds up his hand and he stops me and he goes, Lump sat alone in a boggy marsh, totally motionless except for her heart. Mom oh flowed up in the lump's pajamas, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was crazy. He recited the lyrics to Lump to me and then told me a story that he loved that song so much that he actually had to stop a show mid-song because this lump was so, like, stuck in his mind because he and he didn't know who wrote it or performed it and he asked the crowd like who i have to stop who does this song called lump and everyone's yelling the president's of united states of america chris Ballou. and um ever since he's been like he was he was kind of waiting to meet me so it was a, a crazy experience and we became we were super tight and friendly for a bunch of years after that so that was really a thrill but yeah so anyway testament to the songs um staying power and uh, stickiness, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, there's, you know, there's been a big desire for people to, you know, like us, we were big fans of vinyl records. We've become very avid vinyl collectors. And I was so happy that I was able to see some sort of Facebook ad for your Kickstarter when you guys re-released yeah. the debut album. And so what was the impetus for that Kickstarter? Because the, the vinyl sounds great. It looks great. It, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to, to help you guys out and have, have a copy of that. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of my idea. We would have meetings. So now that the band is no longer a musical endeavor, it's just a business endeavor. And that means that Andrew, the second guitar player, kind of, he moved to San Diego. And now the sort of presidents are me and Dave and Jason again, even though we don't play shows or write music. So we would have mm. these like biannual kind of state of the union meetings where we'd have lunch and talk about what needs to happen. And, you know, we got to review this publishing deal and blah, blah, blah. I kept bringing up vinyl, like, you know, guys, vinyl's hot and we got to get on it and yep. get it done. And it was kind of on my desk for a long time. And my desk was very cluttered with Casper stuff. And, um, finally Jason was just like, you know what? My desk is clear. I'll take it over. And I had already sort of canvassed the world for partners like independent labels and project managers to help with it. And Jason ended up doing the whole thing himself really with a little bit of help, but he did an amazing job. He wrote all the copy. He got the Kickstarter thing up and running. Mm. He coordinated us signing like 3,500 albums, you know, just can't uh, heap enough praise on Jason for how well he handled that whole thing. So it was really Jason Finn uh, taking it across the finish line. Well, well mm. kudos to him. So yeah. but does this, because you guys were able to release it independently, I assume you, you own the masters or at least own the, Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. When we signed one of the things that happened when we got kind of, uh, you know, had heat on us at the beginning is we split into a three headed monster. I was creative Jason was late night PR, which means like go out and get drunk with the, uh, you know, record company people or the, you know, people who need impressing mm -hmm. and make the scene. And Dave was business. So he read Donald Passman's book about the music business at the time was kind of the Bible and learned how to, you know, read contracts. And I'm not sure who came up with the idea, but the idea was let's license the record to Columbia for seven years and not take a nice. bunch of money up front. 
and own the record again after that term. So that's awesome. That's what we did. And so now, yeah, we own it. That's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Smart move. It was a <laughs> very, very smart. smart move. It's very long. You know, that's the kind of thing I loved about the presidents. We were silly and slapstick and all that stuff, but we, I don't know, we were dedicated to being smart, you know, like we wanted to come Street home smart. with money, you know, like all of our yeah. friends, mm-hmm. friends and other bands <laughs> were coming home from tour like, oh man, we had a bus and we had this and that. We had luxury hotel rooms, but now we have no money. And we're all like, nope, mm-hmm. nope, nope. I remember being a little kid and hearing about child stars that lost all their money and yeah. just going like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you lose all your money? <laughs> so anyway, it was just somehow it was in all three of us to kind of like win that game. And we were lean when we toured and came home with money so we could, you know, make our way in the world today. Yeah. It's great. Now, you had said the, the presidents uh, right now are no longer a musical endeavor. Is there any future plans for a tour? You think in the sometime in the future or another album? This just in presidents reunite. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean that at least in the way we used to do it, the rock band, you know, the band got really loud and really big and I enjoyed it a, a lot. But eventually it just didn't feel like me, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to have to wear ear protection when I'm playing music. That's basically the bottom line. (laughs) I've screwed up my ears from that whole era and I'm going to be a deaf old man and all that stuff. But, um, I don't know. I just really wanted to make music that was more on a small human scale, like the Casper thing is. And, um, Mm. And, you know, I've just kind of done that. It's kind of like saying to Picasso, hey, man, that blue period was pretty great. You want to do some more blue paintings? Come on, man. What's all the, give me some blue paintings. <laughs> and he's like, no, <laughs> I've moved on. I'm making white cows. Uh, so, you know. Uh, yeah. But you know what? I've also learned never say never because we God, broke up right. in, you know, 1998 and got to back together in 2003. And who knew we'd be together after that for another, you know, 12 years. So, uh, yeah, who knows, man, I can see, I could, I could see a way the presidents do a tour where we sit around on a, uh, uh, on a set that looks like a back porch and we all have acoustic instruments and we do like a campfire sing along where everybody gets handed lyric sheets and everybody sings every song. So I would like love that. that. That'd be great. I would totally love that. Yeah. Kind of more like a, like put your, a kumbaya kind of experience. <laughs> yeah. So Chris, at the end of every show uh, on, on Dad Rocks, we, the three of us talk about bands that we are listening to and that we want to promote and kind of get, you know, other people listening to. Do you have any artists or bands that you're listening to right now that you want to, you know, give a shout out to? Ooh, that is interesting. So <clears throat> I'm not very good at this game because I listen to a lot of very old music. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it could, it could just be whatever you're listening to right now because, you know, we, we've done a lot a lot of stuff we talk about is vinyl either picks. things that we've listened to or like, yeah, we're getting, we bought some new, like some new old vinyl and stuff like that. So yeah. what, do you, what have you been listening to? Well, XTC a lot. Nice. Uh, oh, recently, amazing. Skylarkin. Oh, it's a fantastic oh, yeah. album. That's me.
fantastic album. Yeah, I'm actually in a group uh, called The Beat Geeks where we geek out on the Beatles and I've been doing this for like eight years but we ran it we basically got into the solo years and the music was so dismal that we had to stop <laughs> mm -hmm. so we switched over to XTC and so we're getting together every two weeks on Zoom and we're picking apart in chronological order every XTC record oh wow Ooh. Are you going to do the Dukes of the Stratosphere? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dukes are in there. Next oh. week Next uh, week is a Dukes record for sure. Awesome. And I loved, oh my God, Drums and Wires, Skylarking, and the first Dukes of the Stratosphere mm -hmm. EP were just like hugely influential for me. Um, I'm listening to my new favorite classical composer is Joseph Haydn. I love him. Mm. listen awesome. to his just wonderful melodies and i watched a great documentary about him so i'm i i love classical music i love punk rock uh what else i'm kind of looking i'm looking in my uh <laughs> your spotify to, yeah spotify. <laughs> i listen to a lot of uh african pop music like um the band uh Tenariwin. have you heard of them oh, no no yeah, mm -mm. They're, they're just fantastic sort of that new sort of African blues, modern African blues stuff. Actually, Mark Lanigan from The Screaming Trees is on the record that I have. Oh, so cool. There's a little Whoa. Seattle connection there. Thanks, Chris, so much for coming on to the show. We really, it, it truly is an honor for us, and we're so happy that you were able to, to do this. And, uh, you know, it was great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys, too. I appreciate you having me. And uh, since there's no Casper Baby Pants shows, there's no merch table. But uh, if you want to, you can go to the virtual merch table, which is at kateendel.com. That's K-A-T-E-E-N-D-L-E.com. And that's my wife, Kate, and she is still selling stuff. We sign albums, uh, sign books. We have T-shirts. We have onesies. We have coloring books, all kinds of stuff. Yep. So kateendel.com for all your Casper Baby Pants merch needs and the fine art of Kate Endel. Everybody out there, go to babypantsmusic.com and get your baby pants on. Definitely. Hey, that's a good one. Get your baby yeah. pants on. Get your baby <laughs> pants on. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. So before we get into what we're listening to, let's find out what our kids are enjoying right now. And for this segment, we actually have a special guest, and that's Joe's daughter, Stella. Hi, Stella. Hi. Hey, Stella. <laughs> How you been doing? I'm good. So uh, can you tell us what you've been listening to so we don't have to hear it from your dad and, you know, him getting all the facts wrong and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. Um, right now I'm listening to Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. I like her music and her singing. Breakfast yeah. at Tiffany's and bottles of bubbles. Girls with tattoos who like getting in trouble. Lashes and diamonds. 
Her voice is very catchy and stuff. I like her songs and her style. And I have a sweatshirt that has her name on it. Cool. So you're a big fan of hers? Yeah, I really like hers. And another person I'm listening to is Taylor Swift. I like her old albums and her old songs. And I've been listening to her, to her songs since I was very young. I like it and how she sings. It's really cool. I like to dance to her songs too. It's really, it makes me feel good. Yeah. Have, have you listened to her newest album? No, I haven't listened to her newest albums, oh, but I like her old it. ones a lot. Well, when you get a chance, you and your dad should sit down and listen to her new album together and then give us a report of what you think. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Of course. No problem. Stella. Hope to have you back on sometime soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Thanks, Stella. Bye. So, yeah. So we heard from Stella. Sadly, my son is is only two. And if he came on, he would just babble. Um, so, uh, and just yell out random things and probably just try to tap on the computer. Um, but I can tell you that, um, since, you know, I was preparing for the interview with Chris Ballou, um, I was on a big Casper baby pants kick and I was playing him a lot in the car and just like kind of on, on, on random. And, and, and one day while we were in the car driving, uh, one of his songs, Rig a Jig Jig, got my son's attention. Rig a Jig Jig and away we go. It goes like, hi-ho, hi-ho. And so after the song, my son just kept saying, hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. He wanted to hear it again and again. And then like wow. every time we were listening to music, he's like, hi-ho, hi-ho. And so he would ask for it. Thankfully, it's a really good song and I have no problem listening to it over and over again. So I'm hoping this is, you know, an indication my son has some good taste in music as well. <laughs> So now that we know what our kids have been listening to, or at least some of our kids, Joe, what have you been listening to lately? So I've been uh, digging this new compilation I just got a few weeks ago called Talk Minus Action Equals Zero, Volume 2. It's a compilation uh, you can get on Bandcamp. It's benefiting this organization, Spread the Vote. Nice. 100% yep. of the proceeds go to that organization. I picked it up on Bandcamp Friday, just a, a digital version. I think it has like 56 songs or so. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. And one of the songs that stuck out to me was this woman, Alana Royal, and she covers this early 70s R&B song called Child of God. Thinks a poor man is funny and I find it hard. Yes, I 
and she has a great voice. She's almost like an Adele mixed with like Amy Winehouse type soul singer. I also been listening to a lot of the new single from the Lemon Twigs called nice. Live in Favor of Tomorrow. I just keep playing it on my radio show and it's stuck in my head. It's total 70s. Uh, it's, it's Todd Rudgren. Yes, I don't know how exactly. you describe no, it. Is that a good Yeah, it's Todd Rudgren. It's, yes, it's, it's, it's very, very, very Rundgren. And like early Rundgren. It's, it's got yeah. that, that um, uh, what is it? The Baroque, the Baroque feel of, of, you know, that 70s, like poppy music. But the Lemon Twigs are cool. They've been around for a few years. They're brothers from Long Island. Yeah. Um, I think they also grew up sort of in the Broadway scene, if I'm I think their I'm dad was a musician or something like that. I they kind of, because they have that voice. They're very talented. Hmm. I feel like sometimes they're too talented for like rock. Like there's some, sometimes there's bands and artists that are like too good, <laughs> like too <laughs> good on their instrument, like too yeah. much. Right. And like a lot of their songs are like, too much going on. I think I told you this because I, I really love their first album a lot. Mm-hmm. And then they came out with like their second album was was this uh, concept record that I just couldn't get into. And it just felt like they were trying too hard. I mean, that's just, you know, my, I, the way I th- thought. And like, I, I don't know, like th- this new single is is pretty good, but I, I think their, their early stuff is definitely something to check out. And I, I really dug it and really enjoyed it a lot. Cool. Yeah, I have to. I think I originally heard them when they first came out, and I don't know. It's one of those bands I just kind of I never fully gave them a, a shot. And the last one I want to talk about is the band The Nude Party. They have a brand new album coming out called Midnight Manor. It's their second album. They're a band. They're a six piece from Boone, North Carolina. I think they grew up together. They formed at Appalachian State University. Their debut album a few years ago was really awesome. They're just a great rock and roll band they kind of remind me a mix of like velvet underground and the rolling stones this new album i think it's gonna be really good the single is shine your light single it's really good uh they recorded up up in the catskills with the drummer of the black lips uh produced it Uh, so i'm very very excited to get that album i actually pre-ordered the vinyl up on Bandcamp. i think it's coming any day and uh yeah i can't wait to check it out cool and steve what about you i feel like with uh the post debate i'm kind of feeling it a lot more two songs actually that i've chosen um the first song is called revolution by heartless bastards are you a bone with a voice so open up and speak your mind raise consciousness and elevate how we all relate don't hesitate no need to be a better smart than anybody else leave judgment at the 
song is easily contender for my song of the year. Yeah, it's same here. Perfect. Yeah, and Joe uh, has played this multiple times on his show, and I just feel like it's perfect for these current times. And also, just lyrically, uh, I feel like she's on a really different level. The song itself is interesting in that it, it kind of builds and builds and builds, and then gets to this like breakdown at the end. Yeah, I'm just excited for their new album now. <laughs> Uh, and then the second song, the Avalanches are this Plunderphonics DJ collective from Australia, and they have two phenomenal albums. Um, one that's uh, their debut that just like I just think is still like one of the best debut albums I've ever called um, "You Forgot It in People." The last album, which was very uh, well received, "Wildflower," which I think is also a masterpiece. And they just have been teasing various singles, and this recent single is called "Wherever You Go." Features Jamie XX and Nina Cherry. It's such a soft, almost like you're peering into like radio dials tuning, which is kind of if you hear earlier Avalanche's stuff, that's kind of their thing. But their take on this album is that it's like how you kind of hear sounds that are projected into space, like uh, I think they do for the DARPA project. I just think that the song is just beautiful. It's got a nice, chill, relaxing vibe. And then the last song is uh, I think just pertinent again, and our, our kind of like reaction to it. I don't even know how this song came into my radar. I believe it was just like a Facebook ad or something on Twitter or whatever, but it was so like well done. I listened to the cover. It's uh, the Surfire Soul Ensemble and the song is Impeach the President, but it's their cover of the Honey Drippers classic. Some people say that he's guilty. Some people say vibes of it obviously we've already impeached him but i just think as a pure funk cover it's super well done the rest of the music is is really good too and i just think again it's just it's uh <laughs> i'm feeling the vibes of that song hmm. same here it's a song that I've, I've been playing also on my radio show uh it's just perfect it's a great song you know even, even yeah. without the like theme of it the lyrics but um you sent me that link to for this cover i want to go check it out yeah, it came quick. Coal mine like shipped it super fast, which I was kind of shocked. And it is it's a nice presentation. I saw the covers like uh, protesters of various yeah. races and things. Yeah, it's just well done. Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool. Yeah, I got to check that out. I, 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 I've been meaning to check that out and I didn't, you know, I bought uh, actually something for from them um, uh, on National Voter Registration Day, uh, the Bring the Power Back Home, this, this seven inch single that they were selling. 
um, with all proceeds are going straight to, I guess, uh, one of the nonprofits to get people to register to vote. And, um, and I also decided to tack on the It Still Moves reissue on that. I actually just recently bought a whole ton of vinyl. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just <laughs> cool. Like, it's I, about it, that time, right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, like, like Wilco's, uh, Wilco re-released uh, Summer Teeth on this deluxe like 4LP edition, which I, I decided to spring for. And then today I, I'll, I'll just I'll talk about it right now because one of the songs I was going to talk about is the uh, Black Pumas um, yeah I've been basically waiting to buy their new I get I can't believe they're making a re-release of their album that came out last year um, it's yep. just the it's just called deluxe it's like a deluxe version of the their self-titled uh, debut and I was gonna wait for it because I saw it on bandcamp and I was just like I'll wait till bandcamp Friday so I was gonna wait to buy it and I ended up, Steve, thankfully, sent me a link for, uh, from the ATO uh, record label uh, yeah. store. And I was able, I decided to buy that with, uh, I also decided to buy um, Brittany Howard's uh, Jamie on top of that. And awesome. then, so like, I just have a whole bunch of vinyl coming. Plus the My Morning Jacket Waterfall 2 album is finally going to be shipped because they were having issues with uh the printing that and I bought a couple, you know, a new, another Wolfpack album. It's just like, you know, a whole bunch of things that it's just more music coming my way, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Oh yeah. And of course I got the, uh, the jealous again, uh, 12 inch single that, that from the awesome. black crows, the oh, nice. on, on, uh, on the record store day drop. Cool. But anyway, to going back to the black Pumas, which is what I want to talk about. So I, you know, initially I'd heard like, you know, the, the songs, uh, they're, they're, their initial singles uh was it colors was one of them what was the other one um oh black moon rising yeah black moon rising so those two i knew and i just never and, and i never gave like i think i listened to the album like once or you know or twice and then i just i didn't get into it and then you know okay. I, I decided you know i'm gonna i'm gonna give this the listen because i saw this deluxe version i'm like and i listened to the i sat down and like listened to the whole thing i was right. like just blown away Yep. And, you know, I really liked Colors a lot, and that has been stuck in my head on and off. But it, the song I'm Ready, which is on this deluxe version, is just, I, I absolutely, positively love it. I know that there's some there's some live stuff I think and covers. Uh, covers and it's just this band is uh, they've got so much potential and yep. I got to say you know I've been on a massive coal mine records kick I don't know I guess all of us have been thanks to <laughs> <Yeah>. our <laughs> thanks to our boy Neil Francis totally um, <laughs> we're giving them a lot of business I know we, we are keeping them in business their stuff is so good it's it so, is yeah. I talked about them They're last time you know it's just like. These guys are putting out great stuff. It's like last episode I talked about GA20 and this, you know, it's just mm-hmm. so many good bands on that record label. Definitely check them out and support them through Bandcamp when you can. And I just saw that GA20 is like number one in the blues charts. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great. They're, yeah. they're a really cool band. So anyway, speaking of Neil Francis, um, I decided to go back and listen to his old funk band, The Herd. 
spelled H-E-A-R-D, because I'd seen it mentioned and I, you know, it was just, I had some time and I just sat down and listened to it and it's, it is freaking awesome. Um, nice. you know, the, the record, it's a self-titled record. It's five years old, but it, it is, it is like straight powerhouse funk music. It's, it's hmm. fantastic. And it's, it's mostly instrumental, but it's, if you like heavy funk, it's not like parliament heavy, but it's, it's kind of in, it's like a mix between, I would say that and like, uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Like it's like mm, within nice. that realm, it is totally worth a listen. I, I think you can only buy the album digitally and they only put out one album and it was, you know, five years ago, but I think a good chunk of the band is on Neil Francis's debut album. And so if, you know, if you guys have heard that, it's like, the, they just sound amazing. Yeah. Um, so definitely go check that out. Oh, and the track I, I would suggest that I really liked is called Nightlife. freaking awesome finally the uh, the next song i want to tell you guys about is um a song from this guy called baby fuzz um and it's actually it's kind of a project that's been around uh for the last couple of years from uh, a guy i think joe and i know uh Mm -hmm. i I definitely know but i don't uh, joe i think you know him brandon lowry uh who's a friend of and collaborator with of, of my cousin matt hartke um who you guys should all check out too yeah and this uh, project of his is like super power poppy stuff. The song Before Our Time, which he just released, he sounds like Nate Roos from Fun. And just the whole song just sounds like it's just like reminiscent of like early fun. Whoa, oh, if you don't give a fuck, then you don't get old. If any of you guys like really like super like power poppy poppy stuff, it's it's great. It's it's really well done. I've stuff. heard he, some of his older stuff. I haven't heard this new. Is this new? This new yeah, song? Is his, it's a, yeah, it's it's really good. And he's a great songwriter. He's he's he knows mm. his stuff, and he's he's a really good. I think he's written songs for like Britney Spears and like other. I know he's collaborated with my brother's group at least once or twice. His press images are awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's he and he is a he is a cool dude. He's he's a very unique, cool dude. And um, yeah. but he's also a great musician and songwriter. So definitely go check out Baby Fuzz.
We wanted to remind you guys that you can check out his music on Spotify. Casper Baby's Pants just released an album in May called Bug Out. He does have a new single called Five White Ducks. Uh, that is the lead single for his upcoming album, Happy Heart, which comes out in November. If you check out his website, babypantsmusic.com, there is uh, what he calls the Tiny Song Jukebox, which is basically these YouTube videos of him playing live versions of his uh, his songs. You can also find him on Facebook. He is on Instagram under his name, Chris Ballou. So you can check out him there uh, with his artwork. All of you guys who haven't checked him out, who have kids or even don't have kids, I-, I can't tell you how much to just go listen to Casper Baby Pants. It's it's fantastic music. Again, thanks everybody for checking out this episode, listening to our interview with Chris Blue. He was amazing. Yeah, I, I can't say enough how happy that we were to have him on and how awesome the interview went. We're not going to give anything away, but we definitely have another fantastic guest hopefully lined up. I'm hoping I'm not jinxing anything, but mm-hmm. uh, we're in the process mm-hmm. of booking another fantastic guest. You know, thanks again for everyone for listening to this. If you haven't listened to us before, definitely go back, listen to our previous episodes, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button on, on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dad Rocks Pod. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, whatever, please email us at uh, dadrockspod at gmail.com. And, um, you know, we, we'd love to hear from you guys. You know, we've been getting some great feedback from everyone we've talked to uh, about the show. And, you know, we're really happy to hear that. And just, you know, we hope you keep enjoying what you're listening to and you're, what you're hearing. And, you know, tell your friends, tell your, your fellow parents, tell whoever you want to about this show, because we'd, we'd love uh, you know, for them to hear what we're talking about. Just again, thanks to everyone for listening. And as always, dads, remember, you rock. You rock.